Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsparts.ie. And together we are Brent, you have to you have to cut it, Brent. You only had fifteen seconds. I, we're done. If you, do, if, if you do, if you do more than fifteen seconds, Facebook snip you. That's what happened. Our we were doing a uh, remember we did that summit show thing before Christmas, yeah. and somebody was playing Christmas carols, and it was just you know some guy who was making a really big effort to do a great presentation, and we just got we got turned off all our platforms. And it was like, what happened? They chopped us off, and later they tell you, well, you were playing a song, you don't have permission to play it, so you're only allowed to play 15 seconds of it. I have to tell you that, actually, I should have thought of that before you did it. But excellent entrance music. Oh, we just love a bit of bring them in. Oh, hey, guys, so welcome tonight. What do you think of the new logo? Have you had a look? You know, oh, you're going to start seeing it's that everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. Uh, thanks, Ellie. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks, Ellie. Thank yeah. you, Ellie. Yeah, thank you yeah. very much. Yeah, all oh, very good. Yeah. Very good. We like it. Very We're good. happy with that one. Three speech bubbles. Indeed. Amigos. Like that. Very good. Oh. Bit of a microphone. Looks good, doesn't it? It's going to be splashed. What about the radar? What's, what's, what's the radar got to do with it, man? That's, oh, that's this, it's one of those radio <laughs> things. It's emitting sound, isn't it? Yeah. It yeah. came from like the uh, microphone. <laughs> like 5G. <laughs> I just want to, yeah, that's right. We're going to fire. 5G radar mast off the tee. Backed worms. <laughs> Backed worms into your brains. Don't you love them? Backed We are here for you to talk to you all about emotion, about the heart. Uh, we were going to talk about the nutrition, carnitine and taurine and what have you, but we then thought that that's a bit boring. So we're actually going to go for something a little bit more eclectic and perhaps a little emotional and what have you. There will be physiology. There will be biochemistry. There will be all sorts of goodness. And I think all three of us have, and even philosophy, and we're all going to come at it from a slightly different perspective. So I think we should jump in straight away. I've got some some wonderful quotes from the amazing Fred Provenza. If you want, where I can tie nutrition and and the heart together. If you fancy, oh, I don't know who he is. Oh God, here's another one. <laughs> oh God, don't you oh start. God, it down. Don't you start. I'm just going to read you. Remember, we're talking about heart, we're talking about emotion, we're talking about uh, nutrition because we are raw pet medics and we've got a new logo and everything else. So here we go. I'm just going to link them all together and just read you a couple of paragraphs that uh, I got. Um, to survive a rare lung disease, an American dancer named Claire Sylvia underwent heart and lung transplant in 1988. Her chest was sawed open. Her diseased organs removed, and in their place, doctors inserted the heart and lungs of a donor. Following surgery, she was certain that her harrowing journey was over. In reality, it had only just begun. The new organs weren't the only thing that she had inherited. During her recovery in intensive care, in intensive care, Claire began to feel the presence of someone else inside her. Initially frightened and then captivated, she realised that some of her attitudes and behaviours had changed. 
In A Change of Heart, she's written a book called A Change of Heart, Claire describes how she was shocked to discover that her food preferences, you see the link, see how clever mm, that is, nice. gentlemen, Good. everybody. Good. We like food. Yes. Or her food preferences had changed following her organ transplant. The cells and organs from her donor had a mind of their own and were now influencing what she chose to eat. After an extraordinary dream, she began to search for the family of her donor. And then the next five pages are removed by the editor. And then we go to the end of that chapter, which says, when Claire Sylvia was asked, while riding an exercise bike after surgery, what she wanted more than anything else, she immediately, immediately replied, a beer. As she recalled, she was mortified that I had answered this sincere question with a, such a flippant response. She was even more astonished because she didn't even like beer. To her bewilderment, she was, she now, she was now fond of food she hadn't liked before, especially Snickers bars and Reese's peanut butter cups. She was also showing a strange new affinity for green peppers, which she had never liked. After her organ transplant, she found herself adding green peppers to every conceivable dish, although she had no idea why. When I was finally allowed to drive again, my car practically steered itself to the nearest Kentucky Fried Chicken. Again, this made no sense at all because she had never eaten fast, fast food ever before. But for some inexplicable reason, she had now cravings for chicken nuggets. Sometime later... After she made contact with the donor's family, they informed her that she had inherited the heart and lungs of their 18-year-old son who had loved all the food she now craved. Um, and so she set up a support group for people who had, had transplants, and she found that the, uh, a big long list of steak eaters who became vegetarian after they'd had a transplant, uh, a milk drinker who began to hate milk after the transplant, a man who always wanted to like wine but never enjoyed it until his transplant. Another man who'd, who never liked coffee until he received a kidney from his sister, a big coffee drinker, uh, and soon he was drinking coffee. A man who received a kidney from his wife and he craved her favourite foods while she still liked those foods. She liked them less after she donated her kidney. One man hated Italian food but craved spicy Italian food after his transplant. And so the list goes on. Explain that, biochemist. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Isn't so that good? So interesting. So there you go. I thought that was a really nice tie-up of the food thing and the heart thing and um, how there's, there's an awful lot. I was, I was just speaking to someone today that, that it just demonstrates to a certain extent we know a lot about physiology and biochemistry and all these things, but actually there's a lot that we don't know about and we need to keep our minds open. Not so open that our brains fall out, but our, our, the brain is like a, or the mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. Okay, and so that's, that, that's really my thought. I, very, I, love, I love it, Nick. I've heard, of, I've heard of that before. I've heard of people getting them organ transplants and suddenly being able to pick up a musical instrument and, and get to it far quicker than anybody that's never picked up the instrument could do, wow. you know? I, uh, wow. I, I go straight to Scholar. I always like to know Google Scholar just to see what leaps off the page and what mm. do I type in. I, organ transplant uh, memories 
um, shared. I think it's something like that I put in. The very first thing comes up has been repeated a number of times. So this study has been shared an awful lot. This is in 2020, very recent. And it says personality changes following heart transplantation, the role of cellular memory. And they say that there are four categories of personality changes so far discussed in the, in the literature. Changes in preferences, alterations in emotions and temperament, modifications mm -hmm. of identity and memories from the donor's life. And they say there are four, so far four explanations for it. Epigenetic memory, DNA memory, RNA memory and protein memory that comes from the transplanted organ. And they say there is absolutely dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of accounts of this. There's a whole big study on it. So instead of me reading out the whole study to you all, I'll just share that for a bit of the science behind what Vicky's talking about. Well, but that's so yeah. interesting. Bloody hell. Wow, yeah. who'd have thought? And you the know? more books you read, I mean, there's, there's loads of books that we were looking at, the Psychobiome a couple of weeks back and the uh, Mind-Gut Connection and stuff. And, and you yeah. start to see... The just the amount of information that's going on out there. So there's what's within your mitochondrial uh, RNA. There's what's within your um, all of that fuzzy space between those genes that we know that work that they're sort of now unraveling to realize that this is mm -hmm. a little bit of mm -hmm. genetic stuff as to why that poly still rounds up cheap, um, you know, several um, uh, generations down the line, even though they're not seen a sheep in a long time, um, you know, uh, all the way through to what's happening within your gut as well and the gut microbiome and what's passed on. So much going on with that. Um, that yeah. uh, is just so intriguing. Did you see that meme, guys? There was a meme recently that I, that I saw of uh, a, 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 somebody's collie had gone out in, into the fields and herded some sheep yeah. back, in, back into, the, into the garden, not only into the garden, into the house, not only into the house, into the kitchen. Not only that, it wasn't even their sheep. He just went out and started gathering sheep. He was a pup. Oh, I love that. It was I so good. I think he deserves a biscuit for that. Yeah. Hey, not a biscuit, but a, yeah. a treat. I'm sorry, a healthy treat. That was so good. Um, we are Raw Pet Medics. You'll find us on patreon.com forward slash Raw Pet Medics. Deeply appreciate any support you can give us there, guys. Uh, if you can, great price of a cup of tea each each month is, is all we ask. And if you can, great. If you can't, absolutely, it doesn't matter. We love you anyway. Um, and I, I haven't prepared the guys for this, as you're going to see by the expression on their faces. But um, I, I'm not going to ask you. You know, where'd you meet your wife? But I would like to know what what is your what what is love? And I have a set another follow on question. What is love? What is what in your quick in your definition of what comes to mind? What is so love? we're doing song titles here? It's great song. song. Yeah. <laughs> great Sam, what is love? Who sang yeah. that? Who did sing that? What is love? Oh, bloody hell, I should know that. What is I don't love? know, but what's love what's, got to do with what's it? What's love got to do with it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're just buying time, guys. Come on. Give me a, a definition of what is love. And I have a follow-on question that you're really not going to Okay. Like. Do you want a, a romantic answer or do you want a... Give me the, your uh, Nick's uh, answer. What does your heart okay. tell you, Nick? My, what does my heart... Okay. Um, we kind of went into this for about a minute before we started, but I think, uh, uh, well, ah, there's that, that whole thing about... To be in love is what gets you to procreate and you know do you know do all that sort of stuff. But then to to then but the actual to to love somebody is a completely different kettle of fish. Okay, so to be in love and love for me are two different things. We could go a very long way with this, and no doubt we will. I think that's fair enough. That's a fair um, statement. So so for me. It is it love is a manipulation by our physiology because it makes things happen like 
the next generation without being too fine a point. Yep. Right. You're right under the nine o'clock uh, threshold, aren't you? You really have d- dealt with that before. <laughs> uh, you just battered that <laughs> off like it was nothing. Just, just, <laughs> there's no lust in this household. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> that was a very uh, clean answer. I loved that it. Was a, it's just like, that was a that was a very <laughs> yes. That was a that was a a, a, a viva answer. You know when you ask. That's the kind of thing they, they would ask you in physiology or something, isn't it? They'd say, discuss yeah. love. You know, where does love yeah. come into this? It is a great question. Yeah. Brent, where are you on that? You can drop yourself into the hole if you like. And then, yeah, um, thanks. Connor, I'm going to ask you so at the end. So to speak. Mm. Well, I absolutely agree. I mean, look, for, for us, the emotional connection is what drives on the species. It's, you know, it's going to be, you know, you meet a partner that you effectively um, fall in love with. Um, because there is a mutual attraction there. No good if it's one way. They're just going to, you know, disappear and... and Call the police. Call the police. (laughs) (laughs) Have they done that to you before, Connor? (laughs) I wonder why you started your family so late in life. (laughs) (laughs) Was there a time away? (laughs) Has to be two-way, so they tell me. Has Has to be be two-way. So, you know, no means no, I think, you know, as I, talk, yeah. as I keep telling my daughters, you know, yeah. no means no, just say no. It's like, <laughs> that's what, that's what Bill Burr was saying. He was saying um, in the court, they're reading it out and she goes, no, please stop. Don't, no, stop it. And uh, he goes, yeah, when you say it like that, but actually you at the time, she's like, no, stop, don't, no. Goes, that's not the way you said it at the time. Anyway, uh, let's try it. <laughs> Let's Stop try and keep this four past seven timeage. Brian, go on with your answer. <laughs> I forgot you where I, I'm, I'm a bit flustered from all of that. <laughs> <laughs> that last. Yeah, I, do you know Thank what I like? Breath, I think, yeah, I yeah. think uh, Nick's answer kind of sums it up there. I think there's a, a few different types of love. I think you can be in love, you know, and that's, you know, being really attracted to somebody and, and you know, whoever that might be. And uh, then there's like, like the like loving someone which can be like, you, you can love your mate, you can love your brother, you know, you can love the guy in the trench beside you. Um, so there's that act of love as well, you know. And so uh, I think there's a few, I think they call that companionate love. And so that was interesting. So two different types of kind of, of love there. So there's a few different it's types. Commitment has and, to come into that, doesn't it? I mean, you've got that level yeah. of commitment to the other parties. That it's not just you surviving anymore. It's now going to be whoever you love. So that could be your brother it could be your friend it could be your lover okay um but it is ultimately you're committed to the survival of those you love and this is where i think that companion being a dog sort of comes into it because that love is shown as a commitment to the pair of you surviving you know that's why we see all of these wonderful videos of dogs protecting the kids or protecting their owners or you know i think that is where i would come from it from Carry on, Connor. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's that's about right because I spent too long. Uh, somebody put it up on my page there, maybe ten years ago, and I put it up now and again just to stir the pot a bit, to be honest. But somebody said uh, it was a meme, and somebody said, "Are dogs just furry parasites?" And I mm. I was struck by that from somebody who did behaviour in college for years, and I was like, uh, and I was thinking, hmm, hang on there a second. Yeah, what is this? Because all the funniest memes are like, I just got one recently there from Karen, and like this. It's a picture of like a stick man lying down in floods of tears going, I would do anything for you. I'll work three jobs. I'll buy you the best food and 
bloody bad now they'll bring you to your vet visits and I care for you and I worry about when you're going to die and the dog goes yeah cool you got a treat <laughs> you know I'm like they're the funniest memes because they're so bloody true you just think because you've got that level of um, you know if it's mutual so parasites is purely one way okay there's absolutely no benefit yeah um, totally for, for you the host to that parasite but we yeah. know there are lots of benefits from our companionship with dogs yeah. Let alone just yeah, the oxytocin release, not, let alone the mental well-being, you know, all of the, the stuff that's coming. Yeah, yeah. So there is a mutual benefit. Uh, yeah, without even talking was, it's for, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. just a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an yeah, aggravating it's word just to commensal. get the masses going. Yeah, <laughs> 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 commensal. There you go. That's not, so, you know. Connor, Connor, you were saying that you have, you've got a little uh, story about oxytocin. I'm just going to jump in before and yeah. just say. It, what really struck me uh, that, you know, we were all taught about um, the flight, fight or fright response. OK, so for 100 years or so, we've had this ever since Cellier in about the 1920s. He stressed animals and he got this adrenaline response. And it was like, oh, my God, I've got to run away or I've got to fight or I've got to freeze or something like this. And that is a stress response. And that was that was it. You know, uh, uh, Bren, you were taught it. Connor, you were taught it. It's behaviour. It's, it's behaviour 101, okay? And that reflects the masculine nature of science through the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And then in the 70s, women started coming in, and I think it was 87. In, um, in the States, there was a, a researcher who said, hang on a second, guys. There is another stress response, which is... Um, and, 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 and the previous ones are mediated by adrenaline and cortisol, okay? Yeah, yeah, that's it. There's another one, and it's, and it's called the tend and befriend response to stress, yeah? If you have a, a cave or a, or a tribe and you get marauded by the next village, then one of the stress responses to, is tend and befriend, which is mediated by oxygen. Oxytocin, which is the, the loving, the I want to give you a hug. And the idea there that there is a survival response there, and it's it's not exclusively women, but it's very often um, uh, manifested by women in that they, if they've got two or three children trailing along, they can't just, just run away. So they, So if there is somebody marauding, it's like, guys, come on in. Let's have a sit. Think about this. Have a cup of tea. Let's let's don't don't stab me. Just have a cup of tea. Have some food, and let's think about this. How can we work this together? That's the tender befriend, which is fascinating. So it's yeah. masculine dominated, and so you get a masculine interpretation of stress. And then the women come in from the eighties. God, thank God, and we get a feminine response, a feminine interpretation of the stress response. So I think that's fascinating, and it just shows science reflects society which is which is which is we'll talk about that forever well do you know that, that that's actually quite neat because that's that's exactly where we are with the whole animals can't feel emotion or they don't feel them in the same way we do yeah. or animals can't love it's because we spend so long thinking we were the center of the universe and that we aren't all one and you know very very similar to each other on, on every level you can possibly imagine and certainly on a, an emotional level i mean they know that fish can feel pain. They know chickens can feel sadness. They can hook them up to MRIs and they can see exactly what's happening when things happen to, I mean, the lowliest of animals, like a chicken, for example, and a fish. 
uh, but rats and hamsters, guinea pigs, pigeons, they are all showing, uh, at least on the lower level, the emotions, okay? This, this my second question to you was going to be, but I'm not going to ask because it's just too, it's just too annoying. It's just like a philosophy question, but it's like, what, what, what is the difference between feelings and emotions? And really only people that study that stuff are going to have an answer because I'd imagine you guys think it's about as different as hair and fur. I certainly did. I mean, could you tell me the difference between feelings and emotions? I think an, an emotion is a defined thing. You've got anger and you've got jealousy and you've got joy and what have you. And that's something that you can kind of define. Whereas a feeling is possibly a bit of anger and a bit of jealousy and a bit of something else. And so it's a more complex, it's maybe a cocktail versus an emotion, which is a singly defined thing. I don't know, Bren, where would you go with that? Uh, so I'm reading these comments. I'm sorry. Sorry, Nick, not the door. <laughs> I'd say they're good, I'm actually, reading yeah. these comments about, you know, people's uh, taking uh, kisses from the dogs and is that going to be, that's just the whole raw thing, isn't it? People starting to go off on that one. <laughs> so I'm looking at this. Yeah. Um, oh, we can talk okay. about dog kisses, actually. We yeah, must you'll get some some that. Yeah. Um, um, super, super, super interesting. Bren, when we were at college, we were taught that, that animals only have clinical signs, but now they have symptoms. Just give us a little rundown on that because that clinical signs used to drive me insane. Sorry, I'm not yeah. going to spoil it. What What are your thoughts on that one? Well, look, you know, the, there is that. I guess as part of it because of you know us being vets, trying to bring into the farming community, trying to almost divorce ourselves from um, the the fact that those animals that we're rearing are going to have that level of sentience and emotion that, you know, it would make it incredibly hard to then square that circle as far as dealing with that stress of thinking that we're, you know, farming these sentient beings, which, you know, quite frankly, they are. And you have that amongst goats and that are. side of things is that, you yeah. know, um, you have to uh, come to, to be able to, you know, connect with those to give them quality of life for the time that they've got. Mm. Um, you know, I think, uh, and I, Yes, that also then came through on the small animal side that, you know, it was a way of trying to pre-program you as a clinician that ultimately you could take a step back, divorce yourself from connection with those animals, come up with a solution. And if that solution wasn't going to give them a welfare outcome, you could go forward and say, OK, it's time to say enough's enough. OK. Uh, and I feel the longer I've been in veterinary medicine, the more I have felt that actually I don't think that's the right way. I feel uh, emotional connection and dealing with that um, is, is really important in how to cope. You know, understanding that you've got to um, have that connection with the patient. For me, those mental signs, especially during, you know, going through homeopathy, the, the mental and emotional signs that those animals give part of the disease is so important in treating the disease and actually comes out that that has to be almost a central edifice to that whole treatment because if you cannot correct that get that right and you've just got yeah bodily they're going on but mentally they're totally distraught and you know not there that's not a life for those pets and companions you know and you've got to then be strong enough to be that pillar for the owner the pet, the clinicians around you to actually say, okay, we've got to call it at the right time to make sure they've got quality to the end. 
what, a, what an emotional toll. And surely what you're alluding to there is one of the reasons why vets are under such emotional pressure. You know, you, you can see why not all, okay, the, 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 the dropout rate of vets is increasing at a shocking rate, but like there's, it, it is clearly a profession that uh, people get under stress very quickly. I mean, you, we've talked about the suicide rates before and that kind of stuff, but it's clear. I wonder, is that part of it, that it is it, it takes a serious emotional toll to do some of the stuff that we don't see being done all the time and the PTS stuff and that kind of end of life stuff, that might take a serious toll. You're dealing with the clients and their grief and who trains you to do that? And then you're on to the next client like it's normal. Bottle that up. Off you go. I mean, it's Come a on, practice that is one. something that we've embraced. You know, we have that mental health coaching. We bring that in to support people. The level of support that we give each other is totally changed to when I first qualified. You know, it was literally... You know, just get on with it. Just, you know, these are the yeah. symptoms, as Nick says, these are the clinical signs. This is the, you know, almost algebraic, this is what they have. Therefore, this is the treatment that you throw at them. And then you look at the outcomes and you continue in that cycle and you just get through it. Um, yeah. Whereas certainly joining uh, the practice that I now run, um, that developed with complementary medicine i think you know probably that is the thing that changes you more and more towards you know looking at alternates looking at other things that will enhance the quality of life for the patients you're you're helping okay and you know yeah. i think the more you get into that then the more you can sort of transpose that into your clinicians that you're you start to help all of those around you that's the clinicians it's not just about the vets it's about the nurses it's about the even the people um, at the front desk, you know, they are an integral part of veterinary practice um, and actually have a great role to play. They're the ones often talking to the clients, you know, as soon as they walk in, whilst they're waiting, you know, as they're walking out, they befriend so many of them, you know, they have that emotional connection, they act as support, you know, so at every level, there's some degree of support going to the clients, going to their companions. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, don't we don't talk about that a lot? You don't hear about that certainly as uh, non-vets. You don't get that side of it. You just assume that's all in hand. But it's very kind of uh, stiff upper lip stuff, you know. Back in the day, I imagine, which did not help at all. But now maybe things are changing and, and people are talking. Nick was mentioning this uh, oxytocin study. Um, we were told this in college, right? This was a gem. So oxytocin is this cool hormone, and uh, mothers, parents, particularly mothers, produce huge amounts of it, uh, right right after birth, as soon as the mother, the baby's put on, and then the baby as well. Um, there's also a hormone in breast milk, and I'm not sure if it's oxytocin is in breast milk as well. It, it possibly is. But there's a hormone in breast milk, and I meant to look up, but I didn't find the name, but maybe you guys know it, that reduces separation anxiety in rats and pigeons. And I just heard it on, I was just YouTubing, what's the difference between feelings and emotions before I came on so I could look smarter than you and I forgot everything I heard. <laughs> but uh, but they did say this oxytocin hormone, um, I can't remember the name of the hormone that's in breast milk, but they, they isolated, which reduced separation anxiety. So, so that's really interesting because um, you will find there's other things that are within breast milk, okay? And this is one of the reasons why we love dairy so much. Uh, is also some of the proteins, so things like the tryptophans and stuff like that that will come through that will increase serotonin. I know gut serotonin, but then it's back to when you increase gut serotonin, you actually get increased vagal nerve 
stimulation back to the brain to cause that calming. It's not just about the serotonin getting across the blood-brain barrier. I know you hate the idea of because we shouldn't beat that way, Connor. Um, but it's a yeah. yeah there's that. Um, there's also the pheromones from around when they're suckling. You know, this is the reason oh, yeah. that suckling mm-hmm. can be so much more effective than bottle feeding. Um, and actually, those pheromones are just as important hormones uh, yeah. interaction as anything like oxytocin, etc. They were trying to, in the 70s and 80s, they were trying to isolate the pheromones uh, that attracted people to each other. Okay, so humans still give off these pheromones. It's in our sweat. It's, it comes out at certain times, uh, you know, uh, and pheromones play a key role, even if you don't realize it. But they isolated some of the pheromones. I can't remember which one it was. It could easily be oxytocin. I don't know. But when they isolated, they put it in this juice called Spanish fly, a really famous kind of stuff that um, guys would try and spray on themselves and make themselves more attractive to the opposite sex. And uh, so they'd walk around the place with this Spanish fly on, and it was always being sold in the back of magazines and all sorts of stuff. And it was a really big seller, seller in the late 70s. But the guy that discovered it um, said that he used to like come out of the lab after playing with this chemical going, I think I found something here. This could be useful. And he said people would come and sit beside him on the bus. This is them. He was he was selling the stuff. So you know these are good stories. But uh, he said people when there was empty seats, people would come and sit beside him. They wouldn't even know why because he's 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 just oozing all these pheromones. But they put his stuff to the test, and it was a study of um of it was a dental surgery, and they set up the waiting room in a perfect rectangle, and they had a female um uh, receptionist okay uh, on one side, and then they had the two long bits in the chocolate there, and they found that. Uh, was it male fair or it was a um, male pheromone that the women should like? When they let the clinic just run normally, that when women came in, they wouldn't sit directly on the wall, directly opposite the female receptionist. They would sit on one of the walls, on one of the opposite walls, to avoid direct contact. Whereas most males would sit right in the chair that was directly opposite, so they could stare at her. Okay, so males would sit directly opposite the receptionist, and females wouldn't. Okay, about ten percent of females would sit in those seats, but you know maybe they were attracted. So. What they found was that females um, wouldn't sit in those seats, but when they sprayed that pheromone under the seat of the opposite, they found that females gravitated to the top seats, even though it was directly opposite a female, which they norm- normally, from a confrontation point of view, wouldn't do. And I just thought, how interesting. These pheromones, you don't even know they're going on and they're directing you. I just Brilliant. That I've got cool. another love story here. Um, okay, so they've, they've, they've done this experiment numerous times and they, they get a machine, a, a little robot, that can move in four directions, okay, and they put it within a within a pen, okay, and on top of that little mini robot, they put a a, a mother hen, a picture of a, a not even a picture, a kind of a, a model with feathers of a mother hen, okay, and next to it on one one wall of this square, yeah, on, on the floor, they put a load of chicks. Okay, who have been habituated to that uh, feathery model of, of, on top of the thing. And what they find is that when they program the robot to randomly move around that square, when the chicks are not there, you will get completely random movement of said robot. But when the chicks are there, who think it's their mummy, the robot will spend more time in the quarter of that square close to the chick. What? Ah, what? Ah, 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 ah. 
<laughs> that's just they did the same. They did the same. Has, with it, the cat. has it run over a chick? And no, it's stuck no, no, because there's a wall. There's a wall. There's a wall. So, uh, and there's another one where they do the same with a cat with a with a with a uh, bar heater, which is on a random switch. Sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off, and uh, when the cat is not present, you get a random pattern. And when the cat is present, it's on more than it's off. Why? I don't get the I don't get the machinery part. Of it. Oh, I don't get the uh, machinery. Somehow it's 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 that thing that the 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 uh, observer influences that which is observed. That's what those two. Whoa. Yeah, which is what Goethe was saying two hundred and fifty years ago. Check it out. It's 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 well recognized. Is this is this is um, wow. Um, yeah, well recognized stuff. It, they'll probably turn around and say it was a fix, but it sounds right. And yeah, I think it sounds. I've heard plausible, of similar. Plausible. Yeah, I've heard of similar very strange phenomena mm. that are observed that mm. way. There's lo- the thing is there is loads of studies. If you were to kind of um, there was a, a famous behaviorist called Hamilton, and he's probably still alive. But you know, in the in the early two thousands, he had done mm. an enormous amount of work on feelings and emotion, love. Really started doing a lot of work on animals, and he started warning that we shouldn't look too much into the whole love thing. Because while you might reduce it down to a biochemical reaction, oxytocin, and um, like there's loads of studies of dogs where you stare at a dog, you release oxytocin. So it's a feedback loop. If the if a dog stares at you and look, you look back at him, oxytocin, the dog, the dog gets a warm hug for himself, and you get a warm hug for yourself. They can spray oxytocin in the nose of a dog you don't know, and the dog will come up and just gaze at you lovingly, and you'll look back at the dog and go ah, and then you release oxytocin even though you didn't get the spray. So there's loads of these studies, and this guy Hamilton was saying not to uh, to be careful about how much you try and, and define, and maybe that's a romantic way of looking at it, because it's such a critical part of how we go about it. But the guy that wrote the book, Love is Dog, or Dog is Love, I can't remember his name, Clyde somebody, someone's going to put Love is Love. Oh, brave. Oh, yeah. Like well the, the, I, somebody think I've prepared that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The reviews, I, I saw, by the way, I've ordered that. It's going to be coming to me, but I don't have it. I only He's ordered two days ago. professor of Arizona State University, something. That's right, in, yeah. yeah. In psychology. Yeah, and it seems that this guy, seems that the guy came from a very strong viewpoint of what I would have learned in college is be very wary of anthropomorphism. In other words, don't try and humanize the animal. It's like, I'm bloody not humanizing. I know he's a dog. So this is the old school way. I'm pretty sure I was the last student to learn it that way. And he learned that way. And he set about looking for interesting bits and pieces that might prove him wrong. Good scientist. And he found there were so many little gems in this book. Apparently, they haven't, it hasn't come to me yet. I highly recommend you pick it up. But I like the fact that he starts off thinking, this is just anthropomorphism. Uh, but he's the guy that lists all the reasons why this would be love. Um, and he made a nice point. He said, you know, if you wonder why dogs get attached to humans, he goes, can you imagine if... Like when the planes, the, when we had big, huge Arab planes and then it turned to forests after the Ice Age, we had all these forests popping up and we needed something to help us hunt because we're not very good at hunting in trees. And that's one of the reasons why that we, we really started working with dogs together. And he goes, can you imagine how close uh, a, a dogs would be with people 10,000 years ago when you depended on them for hunting, for food and for protection? Like you, they would just be units of the family like you would they would be such a vital part of your existence if you were living in kind of a tree kind of scenario where there was predators and dogs alert you to all that they protect your young you can leave them in you know it's he says like it you, I, it's small wonder dogs have evolved this he called it a pathological tendency for affection and he said because dogs will actually 
uh, compared to wolves, there's no point comparing dogs to wolves. Okay, this is you know there is very little point in doing that. Clearly, the wolves don't dig us as much as dogs do. But he said dogs will actually spend more time with strangers than wolves will with their owners. So dogs have this pathological tendency. Oh, love me, like me, do you like me? Pat me on the head. And he says, but can you? It's small wonder that happens because we were so we worked as such a tight unit back in the day. And I thought that's interesting. I never thought about how critical this tool was for us. If you call them a tool back in the day, you know. Now it's more companion-like, but the dog is left with this, you know, besotted engineering that just absolutely gets huge feedback, chooses an owner's pat over food, releases more oxytocin when they smell their owner as opposed to if they thought they were going to get a treat. So they choose those things uh, and they get a, a positive feedback loop for it, and it's small wonder they do. So uh, I just loved all. So the book sounds absolutely fantastic. There's a, there's a quote from one of those studies there, Bren, that you shared during the week that we were looking at. And uh, it said that the genes of domestic dogs are very similar to humans with, uh, with, a, with a syndrome called Williams-Byrne syndrome. Have you heard of this, guys? Mm, and yeah, yeah and Williams-Byrne syndrome, uh, create, because of the lack of this gene or, or the gene is switched on or off in these certain individuals, it creates behavior described as hypersocial, uh, where the people that, that suffer this syndrome uh, become exceptional gregarious, exceptionally gregarious. So Wynne uh, decides to visit a summer camp for children with the syndrome. And although he felt guilty about making the comparison, he couldn't help but notice that it looked like he was watching a whole camp of kids pretending to be dogs. Wow. But so he, he was the guy that started looking at the genes for this hyper-social kind of effect that dogs have. And he says it's not to lessen the love that they have, but the conclusion of the book seems what strikes most people's most behaviors. And what he said was that we need to really seriously address our use of negative uh, negative punish, uh, punishment on, on dogs, which is positive punishment, uh, any sort of heavy handedness. Uh, you need to seriously rethink your, how you're training people to work with um, uh, separation anxiety. It's like this is an animal that is profoundly attached to you. And, you know, some of us are leaving them for 10 hours a day and we're wondering how to train that out of the dog. And, you know, it's kind of like the trainer's call to see how best to fit this dog into the situation. And he, he reiterates the call for, like, this is a highly social animal. And, and to remove him from that kind of pack mentality, he says, is, is something that needs a bit, a bit more thought. And, and people say it now and again, but when you actually get the, the science behind this dog, like my dog particularly, is just like, it's like he's got this on steroids. He is so, so profoundly attached to me. Now, when I'm gone, he just sits at the door. He lies at the door. Like it's 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 boring and pathetic, guys. I have to say it. I know he loves me a lot, and there's but there's loads of kids in the house. You know, there's people running around. There's other things to do. And I know if I got another dog, he'd just ignore him. He would just he just has this profound attachment to me. I don't know where it came from, but now I'm starting to appreciate it a bit more. Gone. I really feel sorry for him that he has this absolute profound. I mean, I've got it for him as well, of course. But like, I don't want to think he's missing me when I'm gone. You know. So uh, anyway, what can you do? He's a cocker spaniel. We've got that for him, except for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I had to get that dig I mean, in. Sorry. Yeah, it's like it's like the kids. I mean, I like being around them for bits, you know. And then the oxytocin wears off, and it's like no, it's just the, the rage hormone. It might be a spaniel thing. I mean, uh, Artie, uh, yeah. you see her little picture here and there and everywhere, um, and she is exactly the same. Uh, as she drives Christina nuts. She, you know. From a point of view, if I go out of the house, she will sit at the door waiting for me, you know. And or if I sit down on the sofa, she might have been cuddling my wife 
for the rest of the day, you know, because Molly's like, give me a cuddle. And all of a sudden, she, she'll In my face, it's like, Dodds, sit and relax, Doddy. Like, right nose to nose. And he knows, he knows he can't be licking my face all the time. So he just, like, his nose to nose, and just sit there staring at me frozen. Just a little bit of the time. Movie. Not, not all the time. And I can just, uh, his breath on my cheek. And it's like, Doddy, would you relax? Would you relax? Just... I'm going. Oh, come on, God. Connor. You I need to tell the ladies. They they were asking earlier. Do you let him lick your mouth? Oh, that is a very interesting thing. That I'm glad you brought that up. Does um, I've, let's do it. Does let's it, do it on Patreon. Oh, you oh. tease. You tease. Oh, oh, tease. oh, oh <laughs> yes. There you go. You want to know let's more about let's how much tonguing Boys. Connor gets? Yeah. Yes. And please over. join us. <laughs> So, there is a there is a there's a critical line that the, the, the public need to hear as opposed to our patrons is that there was uh, a guy who was talking about all the benefits, but he said he concluded, "Don't snog the dog." You know, take take it. I just thought that was a great <laughs> line, but uh, a few little licks here and there. Anyway, we'll get to it. There's some interesting stuff in that. Yeah, bless you guys. Love okay, to you all. Great. Thank you for joining us. That's great, and um, hope you uh, can go and give your dogs a hug. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Share that oxytocin, guys. Enjoy it. We'll see you on Patreon. Cool. <laughs>